Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here sharing with you today. Um, let's um, bow our heads and pray as we come to God's word. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for today as we hear about your word, the word who came from God. We thank you that you give us your word uh, to reveal yourself to us. And we pray that as we hear from you today, you'll give us ears to hear and a heart to respond. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a song by Bette Midler called From a Distance. Now, I know probably most of you have never heard of Bette Midler because she's a singer from the dark ages who's even more ancient than me. But I'm afraid that I couldn't come up with an example or a song more contemporary. And I must say, even when I try to find examples that are contemporary and hip, uh, my boys groan at my attempts. So I kind of throw up my arms and say, well, what do you do? Here are some of the lyrics of From a Distance. From a distance there is harmony and it echoes through the land. It's the voice of hope. It's the voice of peace. It's the voice of every man. From a distance we all have enough and no one is in need. There are no guns, no bombs, no disease, no hungry mouths to feed. And then the chorus goes, God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. Now, as with most songs, I don't really know what that's trying to say, um, but here's my guess. Now, I think Bette Midler is saying that she looks at the world and sees all these problems, uh, but from a distance, she looks in hope that one day things will be better. No guns, no poverty, etc. And God is watching us from a distance. It seems to be saying that God is so far away that he's not involved in this world. He watches, but it seems like he doesn't do anything. And so we don't have peace and harmony in a good world. Anyway, that's my take on it. One of the biggest questions that people have faced through the ages is why does God, who is all-powerful and infinite, why does he seem to stand at a distance? In the midst of so much brokenness, why does he seem so far away? Even atheists have shaken their fists at the God that they don't believe in because of all the injustice in the world. And it's not just the big-ticket items of history, the Nazi Holocaust, the famines, the, the world wars. At a micro level, in our own lives as well, it often seems like God is distant, like our prayers kind of bounce off the ceiling. Why does God seem far away? Some people have rationalised the problem by saying that actually God does care, but he's just not powerful enough to make a difference. He's not all powerful. There's another song by Joan Osborne, and this time I've broken into the 21st century. You, some of you may have even heard of this song, released in 2008, called What If God Was One of Us? Here's a sample of the lyrics. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Just trying to make his way home like a holy rolling stone. Back up to heaven all alone, just trying to make his way home. 
Nobody calling on the phone, except maybe the Pope, except for the Pope maybe in Rome. Again, I don't know what it means, but, but here's my stab at it. I think Joan Osborne is saying that perhaps God is, is so much like us that is, well, he's one of us. Uh, not an all-powerful God at all, but actually just a human being. In other words, God isn't God at all. Two very different perspectives, aren't they? One with God watching us, an all-powerful God, but watching us from a distance and, and not intervening. The other one is that we have a God who cares, but actually he's not powerful enough to do anything. Not much of a choice, is it? But what if there's a third option? What, what, if, what if there is an all-powerful creation who actually does care? Who has seen the mess we've made of the world and has actually done something about it? Well, John 1 tells us that that's exactly what has happened. The Word, the God who made the universe, has acted in history by taking on human weakness to become one of us. And that's what we'll be looking at today. But before we jump into our passage, just a few words about the book of John. It's, it's one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. But it's not just an ordinary biography. You know how in an ordinary biography you basically get someone's whole life story. This isn't a life story of Jesus, but John has a very specific aim. And that is to show Jesus who Jesus is and to urge his readers to put their faith in him. Today we're going to be looking at just the first bit of chapter 1, the first 18 verses. It's a kind of introduction to the whole book. It's often called the prologue. And what Don, John does in this prologue is introduce a lot of the themes that come up over and over again through the book. So let's see what John has to say. The first, in our first section, you got up on the screen, we see that the Word created the world. But, um, where are we? Yep. The Word who created the world, verses 1 to 5. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Straight away we see John starting with a phrase that his readers would have immediately recognised. Because in the beginning, because John's readers were Jews. That was his audience. And Jews knew their Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. In the beginning was the very first words of the Old Testament. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, John is painting a very clear picture of this word being associated with that creation. He was with God. In fact, he was God. We're not given any details here, but John hints at the reality of God somehow being more than the Word. He was, he was, in other words, he wasn't all there is to God, but he was with God. We haven't got time to unpack it, but a little pointed to God being made up of the Word plus the Father. Later on we hear about the Spirit as well. 
all three make up what we call the Trinity. God being made up of three persons. But now here, the emphasis is on the Word. The Word and His role in creating everything. Look at verse 3. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. This is the Creator God who made everything out of nothing. Then verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Again, a vivid reflection of the words of Genesis chapter 1, the account of creation. In Genesis 1, God brought life where there was only cold space and inanimate rocks. In Genesis 1, 3, God says, Let there be light, and we are told there was light, to drive away the darkness. But now back in John, John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness here is symbolic of a spiritual reality, which is a lack of knowledge and understanding. And beyond that, a moral failure to grasp and accept the truth. But more of that in a minute. So we have the Word, God the Creator, who made everything and gives life to human beings. But why does John call him the Word? It seems kind of a strange way of introducing the Creator God. I want to suggest that there are two reasons why he is called the Word. One, he has the authority to bring into being thing, to bring things into being just by speaking. It's a powerful word a creative word. Again, back in Genesis 1, we hear a phrase repeated over and over, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the waters be separated, and it was so. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, and it was so. God speaks a word, a powerful word, and he brought something out of nothing, just like that. So the Word is God's authority to speak things into being. Number two, the second way, or, or the second thing that the, that the Word represents is that it's God's way. A Word is God's way. The Word is God's way of communicating to humanity. It's the Creator revealing Himself to us. Words explain, they make something known. And His Word... And in his word, God has made himself known to us. But John tells us that he reaches out and speaks to a world that doesn't have ears, that refuses to listen. And that's the second part of our passage in verses 7 to 13. A world that refuses to listen. Let's look at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The word came to his own world, the one he himself had formed in the palm of his hand. But his own creatures, who he himself had breathed life into, didn't recognise him and didn't receive him. Now sometimes we use the word not recognise just to, to simply mean we, we don't 
physically see something that we may know. Like, I might pass Pete in the street on a, on a dark night and, and not see who it is. No, it's not talking about that. It's more than that. It's, it's more of a deliberate choice not to receive the word for who he is. Like not receiving a visitor who comes to your door, like on a Sunday afternoon um, when I, I, I might be busily occupied drinking coffee or, or having a beer if it's late enough in the day and watching the football or playing a computer game and I see a Jehovah's Witness or a vacuum cleaner salesman come up to my door. Have you ever had that experience? I think, I, I, I don't want this. This is the last thing I feel like. So I politely turn them away. I don't receive them. I've made a choice not to receive them. And that's what John is talking about here. We have made a choice. The world, that is the people who live here, you and I, we have made a choice not to receive the word of God. We have chosen not to accept him. Turning our backs on the one who made us and gave us gave us life, is a deplorable thing to do. It's as unnatural and, and unjust as children rejecting their parents. Now, apparently, sadly, children rejecting their parents has become more and more common in today's world. Here's one story I found on the internet from the UK. Sarah Rafferty from Yorkshire hasn't spoke, seen or spoken to her eldest daughter, Rachel, 27, for six years. She still cries herself to sleep at night because of the rejection, particularly as she has never seen her only grandchild. When she had a baby, that was the hardest time. I cried all night, Sarah says. All I've ever wanted to be is a mother and a grandmother, and she has denied me that. The most awful thing is that I've been told by a friend that Rachel has told a daughter that I died. I cannot tell you what that does to me. I tried all my life to be the perfect mother. Can you imagine that? But actually that's just like what we've done to the one who created us. Human beings who depend on the word of God for every breath, who has given us everything, everything good in our life for our enjoyment and our benefit. But we have refused to recognise him. We have refused to receive him when he came to his own. And it's not just a case of not receiving the word because he took us by surprise. We didn't expect him to come perhaps. No, because John tells us that God sent someone in advance to tell us that he was coming. Have a look at verse 6 with me. There came a man who was sent by God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men, all people might believe. John's not talking about himself here. It's another John, the one that we usually call John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as a witness to the word. In the days before mass media, he was God's means of, of, of a public announcement that the word of God was coming to earth. 
And notice what God wants the outcome to be. He wants all people to believe in him. So there's something about his coming that is really important to God. God really wants this message to get across. Remember back in verse 4, we are told that the word is life and that brings light to humanity. Life is something we can't live without and uh, and light is something we need for knowledge and the truth. So it seems that having both life and light is connected with accepting and believing this word of God. Then in our final section, John pulls back the curtain and we come to the climax of our passage. The lights go on and we see the identity of this word revealed. The word takes on flesh and becomes one of us. He becomes part of his creation. Look at verse 14 with me. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The creator takes on human form. He becomes one of us. And he came to live with us. The word that John uses here is tabernacled. It it literally means to build a tent with us. If you're familiar with your Old Testament, you may recognise this from the story of Moses bringing the people out of Egypt through the wilderness on the way to Canaan, the promised land. There, God dwelt with his people in a tent called the tabernacle. Uh, I have some great memories of camping in a tent with my three boys. Um, With my oldest two, Doug and Bill, on two separate occasions in Taiwan, we had a little two-man tent. Uh, We went mountain climbing and we slept in the tent Um, Not all three of us, but Doug first and Bill. Uh, And and it was a great time. Um, We were packed in together. Uh, It's part of the experience. It was a great bonding time, sharing that time with them. With Daniel, it was slightly less adventurous, camping on a a soccer field at at his school. But it, it didn't matter. The location doesn't matter. There's something about sharing the experience of camping of living with them in close quarters, of choosing to be with them. That was a real real, special time, it was a bonding experience. The word of God chose to be with us. He chose to live with us, to be like us, to become one of us. Like he did in the desert, in the tabernacle. But actually this was different. There was a significant difference with the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, the people couldn't just go in and meet with God willy-nilly. Some tried to do that and they died because of it. And the reason is because God is holy. God is, is, is separate from his people because he's a perfect God. He cannot tolerate our sin. Living with an imperfect, sinful people meant that there was a great distance between the people and God, even though the tabernacle symbolised God's presence with them. 
But now the difference is that the word has come and invited us to meet with God face to face. He ate with us. He laughed with us. He cried with us. Well, John finally reveals the identity of this word in verse 17. Jesus Christ. The one who has seen God, verse 18. The one who is at the Father's side, again verse 18. The one who is himself God, the one and only. God who became man to reveal God the Father and reveal himself to us. Back in verse 14, John tells us that in revealing himself, Jesus the Word reveals his glory. Look with me again at the second half of verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What we have here is a little preview, a little hint of what is to come and of why Jesus came into the world. The theme of Jesus' glory comes up time and time again in the book of John and increasingly so as the, as the, as, as the book moves to its final climax, that being Jesus' death on the cross. You see, when Jesus talks about his glory being revealed, he points to his death. Because it's through his death that he would show his true identity as the Son of God. It's through his death that he would show his authority to defeat sin and thereby revealing his glory. It's a beautiful little picture of the way that God works. The death of Jesus on a Roman cross was seen as being a great defeat. Not only that, but a thing of unspeakable shame because, because a Roman cross was the lowest of low punishments for the worst, worst, worst of worst criminals. Can you have that? The worst of worst criminals. Worst of bad criminals. However it goes. Jesus endured that. But for Jesus, that was a high point. The thing that most shows his love. The thing that most shows who he is and what God is like. The thing that most shows God's grace, as it says at the end of verse 14. And again in verse 17, John talks about that grace that Jesus brings. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is God's favour when we don't deserve it. Jesus came to provide a solution for the problem of our sin, of undeserving, rebellious people dealing with a perfect God. Without God's favour, without grace, the end of the story isn't good for us. We get what we deserve which is separation from God, eternal separation from God. There's no coming back. There's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. And the reality is that God continues eternally to watch us from a distance. 
and with no way of getting close. In John verse 17, John talks about the law coming through Moses. The law was the regulations that, that God laid out for his people in the desert at the time, remember we talked about the tabernacle, at the time when the tabernacle was set up, the law was given to stipulate how his people were to live with God. But remember that in many ways God was still distant at that point. The people could not meet with him face to face or they would die. But now with Jesus everything has changed. In taking on flesh and dying for us, Jesus has destroyed those barriers between us and God. When Jesus was on the cross, breathing his final breath, a strange but significant thing happened in the temple in Jerusalem just down the road. A curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now the temple was a structure that replaced the tabernacle that we'd just been talking about. It was just a permanent version of the tent where God used to live in. Symbolised the same thing, God living, God dwelling with his people. And in that tabernacle, in that temple rather, there was a, a curtain symbolising the distance between God and his people. The people could not go through that curtain to meet with God. But now the curtain has been torn in two. The barrier between God and, the, and his people has been destroyed. God is no longer watching from a distance, but through Jesus the way is opened for us to meet with him, to live with him face to face. The old ways under Moses have been replaced by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. The word of God takes on frail flesh. God himself comes down to the level of weak, finite human beings so that he could reveal himself to us, that he could live with us and die for us, to deal with human sin and rebellion once and for all, so that through Jesus we can now dwell with God face to face and find life and light. Now, friends, we know that this world-shattering event happened more than 2,000 years ago a very different world to Bankstown, February, no, March now, isn't it? 2019. You might be sitting here thinking, well, Marshall, that's a lovely story, but actually what impact does it have on my life now? But Jesus taking on flesh wasn't just to save the world. It was to save Lisa. Jesus coming to die for us wasn't just for the world out there. It was for Marshall because he's a sinner. You see, the world isn't just a faceless blob of humanity. It's us. It's you and I as individuals. And the question that... And in this passage, John confronts each one of us with a question... How are you going to respond to this word? How are you going to respond to Jesus who has come down to us in the flesh? Maybe you're new to church. Perhaps you're still trying to get your head around what this Christianity thing is. 
If that's you, I want to encourage you that through these words, God is speaking to you. He's telling you that you, along with me and everyone here today, are part of a world who's rejected Jesus and we need to do something about that. And because of that, because we've rejected Jesus, God is distant without Jesus. You have no way of bridging that gap. It's the Grand Canyon. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that cannot be crossed because of our sin. You have no prospect of getting right with God by yourself. But there's good news that we heard today because the one and only way of getting right with God has been revealed through Jesus coming to earth. That's why he did the unthinkable. That's why he put aside his crown and took on human flesh and became one of us. That's why he died on the cross to take the penalty upon himself for our sin that we should have paid. It's grace because he offers restoration with God and eternal life as a free gift. All we have to do is put our faith in him. If you're in that position of not yet having trusted in Jesus, then I urge you, don't go away from here today before you think about how you can take the next step of moving towards Jesus. I would love to talk to you about that, or Pete or Dom would as well. But for the majority of us, most of us are in the position of already having trusted in Jesus. The difficulty for us might lie in taking on board the truth of John 1 in our everyday lives and continuing to do that. Perhaps you're struggling with loneliness and isolation. Maybe your family aren't believers and they don't understand why you come to church and don't go to family events each Sunday. Perhaps they think that giving your life to God is a waste of time. Perhaps you have a spouse who won't come to church or is hostile because you put God ahead of them. Or maybe, maybe you feel like when you come to church that you don't quite fit in, that you're a bit isolated and that perhaps people don't really quite understand you. Maybe you're weighed down by sin and you think that no one can quite identify with you or that no one can really accept you if they knew what was going on in your heart. Even God can't, perhaps you thinking even God can't accept you. If any of this describes you, then John 1 is good news because it tells us that Jesus became one of us not just for the world, but for you. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That high priest is Jesus. He was tempted in every way because he took on human flesh. He hurt like us. 
He knew joy, but he also knew disappointment. He knew sadness and loneliness and betrayal and suffering, not just like us, but to a much greater extent than us. And then finally, Jesus knew what it meant to be cut off from God, rejected by his father while he hung there on the cross. Because he took the punishment from the father that should have been ours so that we might no longer be cut off from God but can live with him face to face forever. Amen.